You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Jeff Vandermeer is the author of City of Saints and Mad Men, Venice Underground, Secret Life, Shriek and Afterward, Finch, Book Life, Wonder Book, and many other titles. His newest work is the Southern Reach trilogy, consisting of Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance. His newest book is Authority. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Authority, one of the things I liked about Authority is it kind of takes a little bit of a (laughs) A, a shift in tone. It's a little yeah. funnier. Oh, good. I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> I, I really like the I'm sense of you humor. Saw that. <laughs> it's very low key, but I really loved it. It's, it made me laugh a lot. But also, I think you have a great spin on spy novels. Oh, and, and and I think that that is really outstanding. It's very nicely done. So talk about spy novels and, and weaving those kind of themes in yeah. because they work perfectly. I mean, secrets. What more do you need? Right. Well, Authority is basically an expedition into the Southern Reach, just like Annihilation <laughs> is an expedition into Area X. And um, I have to say that one of my favorite novelists of all time is John le Carré. And I, I think that, that his best work is just absolutely brilliant in terms of the, the way that he brings to bear uh, a certain interiority of character. You're really there with the person, but also paranoia and, and secrets and, and what people will disclose and not disclose, which is something you find in ordinary life too, but it has more, um, the stakes are higher <laughs> in a spy novel for that. In fact, I think somebody, I, I can't remember, maybe been my editor described the b- second book as being like House of Leaves meets John le Carré or something, you know, in terms of the tone of it and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and so, so yeah, so, so I had a lot of fun with that. I had a lot of fun with the idea of this director coming in and having to make sense of this dysfunctional organization. And of course, then the, the major thing is deciding what details would he you know, be discovering that are basic, that the reader needs to know, and which ones are, are less interesting to the reader and just can be summarized. So really, it was all about exposition, too. It was like, is this a scene? Are, are a bunch of rabbits uh, jumping into the border? Is that a scene or just a throwaway line? You know, is this is this a scene or a throwaway line? And then I had a lot of fun also with non-sequential things, seeing how much a scene can fit that isn't happening in the present moment and is but still is invisible to the reader. But the other thing I really had a lot of fun with, <laughs> I had a lot of fun with authority, I have to say, is, um, and this goes along with the spy novels in a way, is uh, when I had day jobs, uh, often we would deal with government agencies or pseudo-government agencies. And you'd go in and the level of tech would just be all over the place. You'd have modern laptops, but then be accessing a DOS system. So, you know, it's like having a 16th century cathedral next to a, a skyscraper. It's, it's the same thing in these government agencies. And then also seeing sometimes, you know, without naming names, a kind of level of dysfunction. You know, an environmental protection agency where the land people don't talk to the sky people, don't talk to the water people. The databases are all separate, you know, that kind of crazy stuff. So, so that actually tied in a nice way to the spy stuff because... John Rodriguez, a.k.a. Control, goes in there, and he does all the stuff you're supposed to do, but he's trying to solve the wrong problem. (laughs) So that disconnect (laughs) is where some of the humor comes from. That and his disbelief at some of the stuff that's going on. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I really like the character of the assistant director. (laughs) She's one of my favorites, too. She she is just great. So... (laughs) 
so talk Sorry. talk about creating this 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 person who yeah. is like somebody we've all had the unfortunate experience of having to work with. Well, Grace Stevenson is is basically holding the fort for the former director, and as far as she's concerned, any kind of interference with that is a problem. And so you know, you're actually I think you're like halfway through the novel, mm-hmm. but by the time you get to the end, I think you have a slightly different perspective on her uh, because. She naturally seems like the antagonist because of the fact that Control is supposedly the protagonist. <laughs> um, but there's a lot more going on with scenes than that you know. And 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 from her perspective, this is just the latest dumbass that's been sent down <laughs> to try to take over and do stuff. And and here she is trying to deal with the managing of the day to day. I mean, this is my perspective of her character. And here's this dumbass who's come in asking all these stupid questions, <laughs> and she has to deal with that. And she also has to try to remain true to what the former director's vision was and all of this. Um, and then in acceptance, you get an even another view of her. Um, and again, your perspective on her changes. Uh, but there, but there is a lot of, of humor and ultimately there's some pathos too in, in that conflict between the two. And I thought it was really important to commit to not just the mystery that's going on, but the actual reality of what would happen if you came into the situation. Uh, so there's a lot of that stuff in there too. Well, it seems to me too that you have a <clears throat> a good handle on organizations and, 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 and the fact that most organizations are notable for their disorganization. <laughs> but we, a lot of what happens, and you know, I don't even necessarily mean this in a bad way because it seems to work, but inefficiency seems to often <laughs> be. <laughs> I can remember for one day job, getting a, a half million dollar contract where both players knew nothing was going to happen. We were just going through the ritual of like months and months of having meetings, you know, I mean, and somehow that worked. We were all employed, you know, <laughs> all drew it wasn't going to necessarily hurt anyone. We were just, you know, I, mean, it's, I don't know. If, I don't know what the, what that is, if that's a, a terrible thing or, or what, but, uh, but it interests me. It interests me that we, pride ourselves on being run by logic and all those other things, and yet absurdity and inefficiency seem to be byproducts of our supposed logic and, and efficiency. So, Well, in a sense, it mirrors the, the so-called efficient human world. It mirrors the natural world and being shot through with uh, bits of alien insanity. Yeah, well, I mean, going back to the parasites and, uh, and whatnot, uh, you have worms fluke worms that have a crazy life cycle where it's almost like one of those weird diagrams of a machine with a marble going through all these shoots and stuff it's like that shouldn't make any sense whatsoever we find out that sunfish have a symbiotic relationship with uh, albatrosses that there are certain triggers between them that you know it's like all those things are just amazing um and 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 hint at a complexity that we still don't quite have a handle on and the thing that cracks me up the most is i worried about some of the stuff where I get into a little bit of a little bit of uh, quantum type stuff in there, uh, that it would get out of date. But in fact, over the last year, things have just gotten more nuts in terms of what scientists think is going on. So I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> so if you just pursue the most insane uh, inspirations, you're on. You're almost good. like you can do anything. Though I haven't done anything. I've put some constraints on myself, so it doesn't just fly off into quantum la la land or anything. But um, but yeah, it's just been interesting that, that it's opening up in this, this, this way. Well, one of the things, too, I, for me, when I read a book like this, I have to admit that there's a certain payoff I want, mm-hmm. and that's monsters. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, you provide those, and they're very peculiar and very imaginative. They're not like anything else we've ever encountered. And I think that's really, really important. So I'd like you to just talk about maybe your history with monsters and uh, how you see this book in the evolution of your own deployment of them as a literary device. I think uh, I almost always see something other than a monster, first of all. And I think that may be one reason why they are effective when they are effective. Like even in the Ambergris books with the uh, the gray caps, the kind of mushroom people, I, you know, even though it may not be obvious in the books, I have kind of a sympathetic reading on on them to some degree, mm -hmm. given the context of what's going on there and some of the things that the human beings did to them. When it comes to these books, um, again, you know, I have I have obviously all the information in my head, and, and I and I have a backstory for them uh, that I think has the same effect. It's like it, it's not just that these things are monstrous; they're also beautiful, and they're well, they're there there's something about them that is vaster than you know i mean the, just like the world itself is vaster than we can comprehend and that's actually a good thing that is something that that is uh humbling but also satisfying that there's this this thing beyond that we can't quite grasp all of i think the same thing with the monsters i think monsters also i think you know i'm a big huge uh science fiction fantasy horror movie buff and and ever since alien i feel like we've been getting replications of the alien movie over and over again in different contexts until it's become meaningless and so i think i have worked very hard to try to think about what what it means to be monstrous what you know there's there's a scene you haven't gotten to in authority yet where i think it all comes together in such a way that that um well it's tough it's tough to talk about these books without spoiling them well uh, so but this is i think but what i think you're getting at here is one of the reasons i really like your monsters now Generally, when people use the term monster, they mean something like the the shark and jaws, mm -hmm. which is essentially an eating machine. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's pretty uninteresting, no matter what the physical aspect of it may be. Right. And you've got the same thing, the velociraptors in mm -hmm. Lost World or, or even the alien and alien, you know, to a to mm -hmm. the end. I When I first saw that movie, I've grown to like it. When I first said what is this? They're mm -hmm. locked in a spaceship that eats them all up. This is dull. <laughs> <laughs> this is dull. <laughs> Show me something interesting. I like my monsters to have character. Yeah. And that's, the I think, the difference here. And what you've done is to not just give the monsters a character, like making them Jim Bob the mm -hmm. repairman with bug eyes, right. but to give them a character that is in keeping with their own alien nature. And that is a difficult job. They have to have a texture. Yes, yes. And that becomes a little clearer later in authority, but um, texture is really important. Uh, and, and, and I did field test a lot of textures. I actually went out and petted a lot of strange things <laughs> to see what the feel of, There's a, of, say, a manta ray was. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> and I know that sounds weird, but without the texture, and I think I talked to my editor about this, too. He's like, well, we need to cut this. I'm like, no. We need to keep this texture. <laughs> At least keep this texture, okay? You want to get rid of some of this other stuff, fine, but this texture stay in. Um, and so even though, you know, I may have a backstory for them and, and, and maybe they sometimes stand for something else, they have to have a physical presence. I think China Mieville said the same thing, where my monsters are not stand-ins for something else. They, they, they have to, first and, I mean, 
foremost, they have to have a physicality and a uniqueness, and then they can stand in for something else, so they can have the subtext. But uh, so I work really hard on that, and it, a lot of it came out naturally. I mean, there's a there's a weird scene with dolphins in the first book, and uh, oh, I actually I dolphins, love that scene. Dolphins yeah. come into the canals uh, in the marshes there at high tide in fresh water. They've learned to adjust to the brackish fresh water, and so. Anne and I, my wife and I, had this weird experience of seeing two lines in the water and automatically thinking it must be otters or something, and then up came the dolphins. And there is nothing stranger than seeing wildlife not in a context that you expect. Same thing happened when we went to Australia. First time we saw a kangaroo, I saw that flash of brown. I thought deer because of all my hiking. And, and when I saw the kangaroo, my brain just kind of froze. And so there's that little bit of effect, I think, also in Annihilation that I try to capture. One of the things I think that interests me most is uh, in order to get these people into this place, there's a lot of talk about hypnosis. <laughs> so I'd like you to talk a little bit about hypnosis yourself. Have you ever been hypnotized? No, I, I haven't. Um, but the, um, the thing about hypnosis is you can't make someone do something that they wouldn't do. That's what they say. But, but that, there is also the suggestion the Southern Reach is doing a lot of conditioning. Mm-hmm. of people behind the scenes and a lot of kind of brainwashing and whatnot and and some other things I can't really talk about without again ruining the books but um, but I also thought it kind of hinted at a modern suggestibility because I think you can hypnotize people through social media these days because people are much more uh, likely to repeat received ideas now than they did even like 20 years ago like I remember I used to work for a company where this one of the the managers would have a different get catchphrase like every kind of month. And so one month it was the fish rots from the head and then you could tell that he had said that I love because that, I love that phrase well, when you covered that in your authority. I just I, I that was one of the things I wrote down. I have to admit the fish rots from the head. But but when that happened you could immediately tell that he had said it because suddenly all the sub managers were saying, "Jeff, remember the fish rots from the head." And the same thing happens in, in social media where it's not really – it's kind of a suggestibility. It isn't really hypnosis, but but it gets at the same kind of thing. You have people who are more or less under a magic spell. And for a while, they're taken over by this idea or this suggestion that's been put into their head, and they act on it. Um, they're colonized by the they're ideas. They're colonized, yeah. And so this is the colonization coming from the Southern Reach side rather than from the Area X side. And so I had a lot of fun playing around with that. Well, um, it's – the um, social media is the new and what was the subliminal messages yeah, yeah. in a we, way we is, don't yeah. even need subliminal messages we dispense no, they're with all the subliminality <laughs> right just just throw right in your face uh-huh yeah <laughs> so yeah so it's, it's interesting uh, uh, this is a i guess uh to a sense uh, in a sense this is a these novels are in part about the new american uh-huh culture well, you know, that's another good reason to have that distance in there mm-hmm. and, and not name names and stuff because it, it, I think we're so immersed in that kind of stuff that it's hard to see outside of it. Mm-hmm. Like if I'd written a novel that had social media and stuff like that in it and that was a, a factor, I think that people would be less likely to, to see what's being said, if that makes any sense. No, no, I agree. Um, I like the, I like the uh, I think the stripped down nature yeah. of the narrative and of what's happening gives it a it makes a prose really nice it you lose a lot of that kind of annoying uh brand nameness of prose that seems to be so common these days it's like read a book and and if you 
it's like you're getting paid for product placement. Yeah. <laughs> there's no product placement here except for things you don't want to buy and don't want to experience. Right. And and then there's also things in there that just happen by chance. Like for one day, I got into my car and there was a mosquito smashed on the inside of the screen, <laughs> the windshield. I had no idea. I don't didn't remember smashing it. Didn't know how it got in there. And I was in this paranoid frame where control is going through the agency trying to figure out what's going on. So I just wrote a scene where he sees the smashed mosquito on the inside of the windshield. And he gets all these paranoid ideas about this assistant director having done it to send a message. <laughs> and by then, I think you're far enough down the rabbit hole that you don't know whether control might actually have a point or whether he's getting paranoid. You know... Um... I'd like you to just talk about your sense of plotting in these books because I think it's an it, it's really unique and it's one of the things that makes them really fun to read. Well, again, it all comes out of character, but I would say this that that from doing uh, especially Finch, the last novel I did, and then reading all the weird stories, I learned that you didn't necessarily have to put something where it was expected to be put. And so, in both Annihilation and in Authority, the plotting comes out of, in a way of putting the thing where it most needs to be even if it's out of sequence, and, and especially in authority, I think he is guarded in a different way than the biologist. And so that allowed me to plot it in a different way. And so he's reporting to this guy named The Voice, uh, who he doesn't know who this guy is. <laughs> and he's got a disguised voice. Sorry, <laughs> right. I don't know, it shouldn't crack me up that much. But, um, and so there are times when he'll turn a corner <laughs> and the scene will end. <laughs> and then later he'll report what happened to his boss and that's when you'll get it. And, uh, and, and sometimes that's the maximum moment of tension. Uh, and if plot is sequencing things in the right order for maximum tension, then that, you know, him being kind of uh, nervous about reporting to his boss is sometimes a better time to tell you a story uh, than just when it happened. Though I do joke that uh, Authority is my novel about uh, transitional spaces, just like Annihilation is transitional nature spaces, because a lot of scenes take place in parking lots and corridors. <laughs> Well, and um, for very good reasons, as you'll find out later on. But um, uh, but <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of corridor scenes which shouldn't theoretically work, but uh, are meant to increase the tensions. <laughs> well, I, to to be honest, in the workaday world, a lot of work gets done in corridors, parking lots, doors, hanging yeah. out in front of offices. Yeah. A lot less gets done in the office unless yeah. you're just chugging away trying to do something that yeah. will get treated. After working for something for three hours, it'll get discussed for five minutes in the corridor, mm -hmm. and, and then three hours yeah. is is pretty much used up. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. So that and and then. Um... Well, also too, uh, one of the things that works for you really well are the really the close perspective, mm -hmm. and that's a very interesting technique, and I've I've seen that uh, used before, but I think that the way you use it is is interesting, and it helps the speculative nature seem more true right because because um control especially is continually trying to figure out what's going on so you get his interior thoughts half the time and that allows me to vary things which is important for the plot too it's like sometimes you get a lot of interior thoughts sometimes you get the exterior stuff that's going on but i can i can i can kind of move in and out there's a certain level of interiority with him the whole time though and that's actually fairly hard to maintain that that takes a lot of revision and and going back over the structure and everything else. The other thing about the plot of it is I, I, I literally thought to myself, well, what would a supernatural novel look like if it wasn't a supernatural novel, but you were still using kind of those tropes and those effects? 
And so authority is kind of like that in a way. And that's why it has different sections that are like rites, incantations, hauntings, <laughs> and, um, and things like that. I was wondering like where those titles came yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, well. And then also from a very close study of, this is going to be blasphemy, but uh, uh, Kubrick's The Shining, which I absolutely love. And I have to be honest, I've never read the Stephen King novel, so I don't know how close it follows. But you know, Stephen uh, 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 Kubrick has interesting effects in there. Like, he has a TV set with no cord coming out of it, yet it's playing. And mm-hmm. it, it, that's possible today, obviously, but it wasn't back then. But most most viewers will not see that. But they will, note, they will on some subliminal level, probably think that was a weird scene. I can't figure out why. Mm-hmm. So I thought, how about translating some of those effects into this dysfunctional agency? And so part of the sense of unease there, which, again, all ties into the characters and plotting and everything else, is... There's intentional non-continuity is deliberately not correct in places. There's spaces that don't match up. There's, you know, things like that. And that's to help create that sense of unease. Now, uh, it's been said somewhere that these are, have been bought for film rights. I, I'm, I'm wondering uh, <laughs> how you envision that being done exactly. Well, um, it's, uh, it's Paramount Pictures and Scott Rudin, and they're very good at turning novels into, into screenplays and movies. I actually think, I, I don't mind if they change it, because I would change it if I was doing a movie. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't a first-person journal entry uh, situation with Annihilation, probably what I would uh, do is I would start out with, and you know, this is just my vision, you would have a, to establish a voiceover if you wanted it, if you wanted that narration still. You would have like a shot from over the reeds, just kind of going towards the lighthouse, and then that would be interposed with the biologist's interaction with her husband, without you knowing if or is there something strange going on here. And then eventually the reed scene would cut to base camp, and you'd see the four of them introduced to them, and then it would go along intercutting. And I didn't do that for the book because it doesn't make any sense for for what the biologist, who she is as a character and, and how it's doing. But movies are not a first-person experience, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so visually, I think they could do some really cool things with it. Um, 30 years of Southern Reach history, you know, also lends itself to to, to basically pulling out whatever you want. Uh, sure, so, sure. So they can basically take that book and say, okay, well, this thing really works cinematically. This doesn't. And and they can mix and match. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I really would be surprised and, and not necessarily happy if they stuck with exactly the the structures of the of the books i've been speaking with jeff vandermeer his new book is authority thank you for speaking with me jeff thanks for having me you're listening to the agony column news report featuring interviews phone interviews reports from live book events and festivals and conversations with readers you can find additional news interviews book reviews and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.